Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks! Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, we have a special guest, Margaret Agar. She's an award-winning author, former executive in the high-tech industry, and mother of eight children. She's currently serving as a Relief Society counselor for the local congregation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, Mike. I'm happy to be here. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we, You are our first, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have always thought the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is also what we refer to as Mormons. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, so the actual church is called that, but I was just going to say that you are our first official Mormon guest, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't um, stepping on anyone's toes with that term. So, Okay. It's great to have you on, and thank you again. And uh, as you know, because you've listened to a few of these, we do ask our guests, um, how old are you, where did you grow up, and what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Definitely a baby boomer. I, 72... I was born in the D.C. area, grew up in New Jersey. I've lived all over the country, um, California, Rocky Mountains, Alaska, Albuquerque, West Virginia, and now Florida. And so how would you um, explain your transition from the high-tech industry to having eight children? Because those two, uh, being an executive, it's not often that you have eight children. Can you explain that? I Actually, it was the other way around. I had eight children and then became an executive. I was sole financial support for our family for quite a while. And, you know, I'm an oldest daughter. We often end up just taking on all kinds of responsibility, even when we shouldn't. If you've ever had an older sister, anyone out there, you know what we're talking about. And I tell people I'm a recovering oldest daughter. Um, And I, at one point in my life, I was that had eight children still at home, half in college, but they were living at home while I went to college, half in high school, um, executive in the high-tech industry. And the industry was changing. This was when I was in my mid-40s. It was like 30 years ago. And I needed to finish my degree, so I had gone back to school to finish my last two semesters um, full-time. I was a little overwhelmed. Uh-huh. <laughs> And were you raised Mormon, or was this something that you converted to later in life? My parents first went when I was about six or seven, and I had an experience just going into the church with them where I had relatives of all different denominations, Catholic, Episcopalian, um, Baptist, Presbyterian. I'd been to a lot of churches, and I just had this experience when I was about six, the day I first walked into this church where I felt as if I met God, that up to then I'd learned a lot about him, but I had a sense and a feeling of I'm in the presence of God. That's incredible. It's very powerful. Um, And you were so young, that's even more special, I think. Um, So that's pretty much it. You were hooked from that day on? Yeah, really. When I was in second grade, I used to go read my Bible when I was upset, I'd go read my little Bible and, and I would have this sense of peace over, you know, come over me. And I have through life really sought after being in that presence, having that sense of peace. That's great. That's really special. Um, and so uh, I, I want to get like a lot of the stereotypes out of the way early in the interview, because I think um, growing up in America, I grew up in California, 
and we had about five Mormon kids in my grade in high school, so I have, like, some familiarity, and I've, I've said this on the record many times, they were the nicest five kids in my high school. No question about it. Everyone would probably say the same thing who went to my high school. So with that positive stereotype, I'm going to start with that. I'm just kind of curious, um, growing up in America and belonging to that church, has it changed the perception of it? Is it more popular now? I don't think the perception has changed too much um, because there are certain groups who like to get out there and say, oh, we're not Christian or um, we think everybody's going to hell. I'm like, no, nobody's going to hell. I mean, we're so far from that. Um, that and yet the people who know members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints usually say what you say. They're just good people. Not about me. I have to admit, I'm not quite there. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> um, well, you have eight children and I have two. And I know that if I were to ask your eight children, I'm sure there would be a few digs because they're children, but I'm sure that they would all say the same thing, which is you're a great mom and a great person. So, um, yeah, and I do believe from our interactions in email, you've pretty much like dedicated your life to the church at this point of your life. Is that correct? It, it is because there is no paid ministry and we're, so we all do a lot of service. We all are constantly um, reaching out. And in my husband's in my case, we're both in leadership positions. Another misunderstanding of, you know, women are never in leadership positions, but there are six sub organizations in the church. Women had three of them and men had three of them. And then we meet together in councils and just talk about what needs to be done to take care of people and help them. So women are pretty much over the primary age children, the young women, and then the, um, there's the women's organization, which is called Relief Society, where we constantly are reaching out to help people. And so, yeah, speaking of what you addressed earlier, um, I should open by saying that I was raised Jewish and I consider myself culturally Jewish, but I'm not really of any denomination and I do have faith and I get into that from time to time on the show. But I'm saying all that just to simply explain why I have to ask, uh, what is the difference between like a quote unquote Christian and a quote unquote Mormon? I personally, from my high school experience, believe that you're all Christians, but I, you said something about Christians earlier. So I'd like to get to that next. Yeah, Christians. Absolutely. We believe that Christ is our savior, that, um, you know, we believe he was born of Mary. He died on the cross. That is only through his name that people can be saved, but we believe there are maybe levels of being saved. We don't believe in that there's, um, it's not a pass-fail system when we pass on to the other life. I'd actually love you to explain that a little bit further. It's not a pass-fail system. So what would that look like and why are you saying it's not? So um, we call it the plan of salvation or the plan of happiness, that there's a reason we came to earth, that we lived as spirits before we came. We're eternal. We've always existed. We'll always exist. And we came here as an opportunity to determine for ourselves what level of, um, hmm, let me think, of glory we're going to go to. So we that it's all light and love. The Bible talks about three degrees, talks about three. There's a glory like the sun, a glory like the moon, a glory like the stars. We believe in modern day prophets and they've explained that to us that as we pass from this life to the next, there's a, a space of time where the people who haven't yet had a chance to learn about Jesus Christ will have that chance. 
that um, they'll still have a chance to whether or not to accept him. And then the time will come where there will be this judgment. But the judgment, we are going to remember everything we thought and did. And we will basically know that what's happening is just and that we will end up in one of these degrees of light or glory. And some people will have to spend some time um, paying for their unrepented sins. Like you never repented of this and there's something you're gonna have to do and then you'll end up like the lowest glory is for liars, murderers, and adulterers. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. And um, I think the only follow-up question I'd wanna ask is, if everything is all about recognizing Jesus Christ, what were humans doing for the many, many, many years before Jesus Christ? Like, were they living and dying and not having to repent and not having to deal with that? So we believe that, or I believe that people will be held accountable for the law that they had, for what they knew. Oh, that is incredible. And that, but they will still have that opportunity between death and the final judgment, which has only got our full memory back of why we came here, that everyone at some point will have heard of Jesus Christ and will have the opportunity to decide yes or no. That is incredible. That's a really cool distinction. I've never asked anyone because it never occurred to me, so I'm glad I did. Um, and I think we're at the exact point of the interview where it would be very important to ask you the only planned question we always have, which is, what do you believe is going to happen when you die? Yeah, I actually believe I'll, I'll kind of go up to some light-filled place <laughs> where I'm going to be at peace, and I'll be busy. I'll be helping to share about Jesus Christ like I do here on Earth to those who haven't yet heard so that they have the opportunity to make a decision. Um, it's interesting because I had a friend, a very close friend, who had a near-death experience, and she's probably the most down-to-earth, practical, like unimaginative person you could imagine. And she said when she died, it was like, wow. She said, I... I felt so happy and so at peace. And and then she came back into her body. She just like the movie show where you go whoop, back into your body. And she said, and she said, I don't think it's possible to be as happy as I was here on earth. So I think I'm going to a place of lots of happiness and light. That's awesome. That's a great answer. And will you stay there, quote unquote, eternally? Like, are you a your own being and you get to live an eternal life up there? Yes. Yes. I believe we stay separate that, you know, we don't go into some big eternal thing of love, except we are. And I believe we're all connected. I do believe this, believe, you know, like with quantum physics or that there's, there's a connection between all of us. And I also believe a lot about light. I did a lot of studying on light and light in the scriptures to really try to understand why light is so important. That's really interesting. I actually would love, can you just go a little further into that thought? It sounds really profound. Yes. Since I did a lot of studying on it, a lot of what I came up with about what I believe about what's going to happen is um, how do we get filled with light and love? So in Isaiah, you know, he says, deal the bread to the hungry, bring the poor that are cast out of the house. Then shall I light break forth as the morning and the Lord shall be with thee constantly. And he said, if you Draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. And that's basically what Christ said at the end of his life, right? You know, like if you had those, here's your last talk just before you die. What Christ said was, what it's going to come down to is, did you take care of people? 
the poor and the hungry and the naked. And then he said something else. And this is where I think I really spend most of my time. He said to his apostles, not love your neighbor like yourself. He said, love each other like I do. And I was, well, how can I love like Christ does? And so I have an answer. And that is to constantly be surrounded by his Holy Spirit, which is what he's promising over and over again. I will send you that spirit. And often that's what I feel as I was taught from the time I was a child that I had both the right and the responsibility to learn to hear God's voice and to have his spirit to always be with me. And that has been my goal. I mean, that's incredible. I'm, I'm taking notes as you talk because that's how I interview and I, I just can't, I love the statement of the responsibility to hear God's voice. That's incredible. Um, it's very, very interesting to me. I kind of feel like with you, since you're, you're clearly an expert, you can like recite scripture and, and you're just very knowledgeable and you're sharp. You're very sharp. So I'd like to just kind of fire some questions at you that are coming to my mind. I, I'm curious how you would answer the following question that people constantly throw at religious people, which is, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Like if God is with us and if Jesus loves us, why is that happening? The only the answer I have, and boy, I'm not that sharp about that one, is that we we knew when we came here that we were all going to be allowed our agency, that we were all going to be allowed to make choices, and that some would make bad ones, and we could be hurt because of choices they made. And I believe, and the church teaches that Christ's atonement was not only to, for mercy, you know, mercy would be, we can repent and have that pain of guilt and shame removed from us, but also that it's justice. And by justice, he said, I will care for you. Other people can't heal you, but I can heal you of what has happened to you. And I have had that experience where I've turned to him and taken the worst things that have happened to me and have felt that healing in my spirit where he said this, what happened to you was wrong. Well, actually, there's a friend who shared this with me because it made sense. Um, and you know, actually, this little story is in my book, but um, she said, I love purple. And she said, you know, you can't get purple without red. And she said she had an experience where she said to her when she was praying, I can take everything that's happened to me, you know, the fact that my house burned down and all these other things, but just this one thing I wish hadn't happened where I was sexually abused by a favorite uncle. And she thought the spirit say to her, what is the character trait you're most proud of? And she, for some reason, she saw immediately the connection between what happened to her and her developing that particular character trait which is her ability in a crisis situation to know immediately what to do and do it. And I seen her in action. I was having, well, we went out to lunch with some friends and the lady across from me was, was choking. And I was trying to figure out, is she really choking? You know, like this doesn't really happen, right? And I'm, while I'm thinking that, my friend is up around the table, did the Heimlich maneuver, she spit out whatever she was choking on. And I was like, wow, I still, I hadn't even figured out if she was really choking. And this friend was in action. And then she said to me, you know, everybody loves purple, but you can't get purple without red. Yeah, that's so powerful. Thank you. Um, so I kind of still want to like, 
push you a little bit about your own personal life? I mean, that's a great story. Do not misunderstand me. But uh, is, is there a time where you, and again, you can be as specific or vague as you feel comfortable being, but was there a time when you were, your faith was tested? So not when you were tested as like a human, because we all have that, but like a time where your actual faith in the church was tested. You know, I question that all the time. I, you know, because people, you know, we, we spent like four years serving as missionaries and people would be like, yeah, I don't, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to pray about that. And I thought, what have I never questioned in my life? But, you know, I've never questioned Christ. Like, do I need him? I was in my 50s. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ask God. Do I really need Christ? <laughs> and the answer I got was, have you ever done anything you can never make up for? And I thought, you know, without Christ, the world is neither just nor merciful. I don't care how good I am from then on, I could never make up for whatever I had done to hurt other people. So my, um, and the same way with even if I was born another thousand times, I couldn't make up for it. But it keeps the world just and merciful as Christ. So I got my answer. Have I, I want to say I have, I had one, what I call my dark night of the soul, where we give a lot and I don't expect anything in return. So don't misunderstand this. But we spent a lot of time with what I call the givers. You know, it's like, oh, I'm with the popular kids in the church. <laughs> the ones who give all the time, the servant leaders right um and we spent a lot of time going to hospitals and visiting people and once my husband was in the hospital and i just needed someone to come and sit with me and i was praying for it and nobody came and when i went to church that sunday people said oh you know we knew you were in the hospital and that he was in the hospital and thought about coming but then such a long drive so we didn't and i thought do they not love me? <laughs> That's my and and then I thought, and then I thought, why am I serving? Am I serving because I love God and I love people, or because I want people to love me? And so I would say I, you know, I had to sit some for some time with that question and thought, well, it's because I love Him, whether or not. Anybody ever shows up for me, I'm going to be there for them. Wow. Yeah. I've had a similar moment in my life. And then in the wake of it, I actually had a few friends go over the top to help me. And now to this day, I spend so much time not repaying them out of like debt, but loving them and repaying them as often as I can. And so I, I can see all the sides of that. And that's a very good story. Thank you. Um, I think the... Final questions I really want to get to before I let you uh, talk a little bit more about your faith and, and how it can help us um, is I'd like to know two things. So two different questions. And I think the first one I'd like to ask is, have any of your children ever left the church? And if yes, was that a problem for you? Or are you pretty like, you know, hey, free will agency, you got to do your thing? Well, initially it was a problem, but um, no, after after my divorce from my first husband, who's gay, and this sense of, you know, here we are to this church where it's all about families and ours isn't working out. So of the eight, seven left, one stayed. Um, today, I would say six are in the church, two are not, one goes to a different church. So, And, and so, yeah, and I, I could see how it would be different over time. Um, and that actually segues into a different question. So I'm still going to save my other one just uh, for my last question. But would uh, what would you say to people who are 
faithful to like a different religion that doesn't recognize Jesus Christ, is it okay? Does that still have the same effect? Or is it like, because again, I think that's the only thing you've said in this interview that is hard for me to understand. It's not wrong or right, but it's confusing for me is Jesus is a specific human who lived and died about 2000 years ago. And the faith in him makes sense to me. But what I'm unclear on is, is it okay for other people to have faith in their prophet if that leads to good agency? I absolutely believe that is true. Like I said, there's the three kingdoms are all kingdoms of glory. But I think to get to the highest glory, it's going to be people who have accepted Jesus Christ. Got it. Okay, so there's like a hierarchy, but they you can still get it. That's a, that's a good answer. I like that. Um, and then I think my last question is just because this is the other stereotype about Mormons is that uh, you know, quote unquote, you guys uh, go on these missions and you kind of like shove the church down people's throats and like as you build latrines and do like amazing good things for them. And I'm, I'm trying to be funny and sarcastic at the same time. So like there's this like weird like talking out of two sides of the mouth. It's like, well, they're they go down and they give Bibles and, and convert people while also spending tremendous amount of time and money like building infrastructure. So I'm just curious, what is your take on the missionary system and how do you defend it to the people who are not fans of it? Oh, it's so funny because one of my sisters said to me once, we well, usually go out and do good things to people and then they want to join the church. And I was like, um, okay, failing to see the problem here. But, um, but having been a missionary and having often been out with missionaries, the way we present it is exactly it was as it was presented to me as a child. You have the right to hear Heavenly Father's voice and to ask him questions, and he will answer you. And so we're going to present some information to you. Then we're going to ask you to seriously go and pray and ask if what we're telling you is true. And only if you get the answer that it's true will we ask you if you want to proceed. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, wow. Cool. I always give my guests the very last uh, chance at the interview to just kind of say what you want to say to our audience, because we have a pretty diverse audience and they're all, in my opinion, very open-minded and intelligent. So what would you like to tell them? Well, it's what my book is about, which is, um, it's called In This Footsteps, there's actually two. And the first one is the to-do list. So what happened during that time when I was just overwhelmed in my forties with everything I was doing, I was getting about four hours sleep a night. And it seemed like everything that I did, I knew how to, I mean, I was an executive. I knew how to make priorities, but there were just too many priorities. And it seemed like whatever I did, it was like, well, I didn't have to. You know, I'd show up at a professor's class and there'd be a note on the door. He's sick. You don't need the paper till Friday. And I think if I'd known that, I'd have done something else. So I started thinking you know, I know who knows the future. And I'm going to start asking God what I have to do today. And I actually started doing that. I started taking my to-do list to God every day and just saying, what do I have to do? And since I'd learned to recognize that voice, I could say, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. I do this. And I, all of a sudden, I was getting eight hours of sleep a night. And I, everything that needed to be done was getting done. And then the question changed a bit because he started giving me adding things to do. I want you to call this person. I want you to make a meal and take it to the neighbor. And I started realizing that the question isn't what should I do today, but what do you want me to do today, God? And 
I think the world would be a very different place if everyone who believed that there is some kind of divinity asked that question. Um, and that question is what has changed my life and my heart. Because Paul says, you know, like you can do all good things, but if you don't have charity, then it's nothing, right? It's, it's who we are becoming. It's what's changing our hearts. And what's interesting is he, he lists all these characteristics of someone who has charity, right? And then later he lists all the characteristics of someone of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And they're the same. That the only way to have charity is to constantly be dwelling in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the way to get that, when we have this from the Book of Mormon, is to pray for it. You can pray to be filled with charity. And so that is. You know, my commitment for this year, I just have a heart up um, that I look at every day. It reminds me my commitment for this year is to pray to see everyone around me as God does and to love them as he does. And the spirit is, I mean, the spirit has never said to me, all right, I want you to go be Mother Teresa. When the spirit's talking to me, it's usually something like, I need to make a chocolate cake and take it over to Diane. And I go to Diane's with a chocolate cake thinking, this is a big mistake. She's living by herself, and I'm giving her a whole chocolate cake. And then I find out that Diane is to be pressed on the day I brought her the cake. This has happened last week, by the way, because it was her mother's birthday. Her mother's gone. And the next day was her father's birthday. Her father is also gone. And she kept thinking about how much they love chocolate cake. And awesome. And I walked through the door with a chocolate cake because I'm thinking God's making a big mistake. I said to her, I'm bringing you this because God said to, if you have a problem with it, you go talk to God. <laughs> I'm bringing one whole cake to one person. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really great. And um, yeah, I love it. I love the idea of praying for charity. I love the idea of focusing on charity. And I love the idea my wife, who's listening and she's our producer, is I'm sure she's giggling because she gets these kind of messages too, like to do small but important significant things for other people and for herself and so i love ending the interview on that thank you again margaret for helping us put another nail in the coffin you've been a wonderfully humble virtuous and intelligent guest um i enjoyed talking to you and i encourage everyone to check out the links in the uh bio that's attached so you can find her book and uh the other thing you can do to help the podcast as always is to subscribe tell a friend and go to mikeyop.com and subscribe to the weekly essay as well and other than that uh we are just happy Happy to have this show running along and happy to have our audience. My name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon. Walking alone.